Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we are in our study, 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm in verses 13 to 17 that we began last week, and we continue on with this week. So let me read this passage to us now. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior um, in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we just delight in the fact that we've been able to worship as a local assembly through song, uh, through meditation, and even through just fellowshipping already before and during this service with one another, and then the giving. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the word of God, and I pray that as we look into this passage that it would help us to have a desire to follow Jesus every day of our lives and to be worshiping you in spirit and truth on a continuing basis so that others might be drawn to the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time to study, and we pray that uh, the Spirit of God would just use the Word of God in each one of our lives, starting with me, even as I preach it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've entitled this morning's message, What It Takes to Be a Good Witness. Last week, as we opened up this passage with you, we talked about the fact that evangelism has become a big thing, and it is very important that we talk about the things of God and evidence of salvation is not just what we believe, but it is that we with our mouth, not just believe in our heart, but with our mouth, tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will, paraphrasing a little bit. But so much time and energy is spent uh, by many churches and many organizations on the concept of collective meetings and evangelistic campaigns and all of this type of thing, but in our passages, we came across this subject of evangelism, we noticed that godly living in the life of a Christian, it first of all, it may lead to suffering, but it's highly unlikely it will if you're doing what you should be doing. It's possible, but it's not likely. However, for the point of our emphasis here in our passage, we saw that it will. If you are living godly, if you are following Jesus, as we just sang, or heard some, it will lead to personal evangelism. Opportunities will come up in my life, in your life, <coughs> if we are living according to that which we believe in what we talk about as evangelism. And we need to understand that, in, as I said last week, the most effective Part of evangelism is not campaigns. Most of the time people think, I want to bring everybody to church and it's up to the pastor and the elders and to save these people. 
wrong. The idea is personal evangelism. That is what is effective. It is the most effective one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism that each one of us, even as we were talking in our Christian growth class this morning and someone mentioned, that we understand who the mission field is. The mission field is our neighbors. It's those we work with. It's those who do not know Christ. And you and I are put in the midst of that, and personal evangelism is what is really effective. And if we are living for Christ, if we are pleasing to him, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of social status that we have, there will be opportunities, and people will ask. People will ask you, because they will see the hope <clears throat> that is in you. And I mentioned last Sunday night, even after I preached last Sunday morning, a number of people came to me with different situations, and I could share several, but I'm going to share two particular ones without all the detail to you, just to show you what we're talking about here in a practical sense of how it does work. Because I said, even in our, our church here, we've held classes on evangelism, and you teach people how to evangelize, and you, you do all of this, and then nobody evangelizes. And it's really what we call lifestyle evangelism and how we are living for Christ wherever he has put us. But the two that I'll give you by way of testimony just to share with you, someone came to me after the service last week and shared a situation that led to their salvation. And what it was was a situation where in the hospital, a young person in their 30s was having a lot of physical difficulties, and I won't go into them, but were having physical difficulties. And this person saw the individual and was amazed that a person that age, with all that they were going through, they were reading the Bible. And it caused this person to want to ask that person and find out what in the, how in the world, in your physical situation, are you reading? What, what are you doing? What is this that you're, and it caused that person to ask. And what happened eventually, as God worked through a number of different circumstances, but that person came to know Christ. The point I want to get at, that was a life situation where somebody that was simply living for Christ in the midst of very difficult situations, another person looked at that and said, this person's different. There's a hope here. And they went to it. Another person shared with me last week, and I'll give you this one again in a general way, but said, and this is a person that I believe has a real heart to witness to people, but <clears throat> was, uh, said that they had been witnessing and, and trying to bombard a person with basically the gospel over and over for many years, and the person just didn't want to hear it. And so finally, the person just was living for Christ. Listen carefully. And after years of being bombarded, and now not being bombarded, the person started to look. And at the age, catch this one, at the age of 95, the person recently came to that person and said, I need to know how you have the hope that you have. They now came to them when they stopped using techniques and just lived for Christ. And that person right now is listening to somebody in this church 
because they want to understand salvation at the age of 95. What I'm saying to you, living for Christ is what does it. I shared recently with somebody I was talking with. Had the opportunity to, again, talk about the gospel. And I was talking with somebody. I shared this with the Christian growth class. And I, and I said to them, and they, they were talking about was saved, unsaved, what's the situation, whatever. And I said this to them, listen, I know when a person is alive and I know when a person is dead. Right? I said, as a pastor, I've had many funerals. I, people don't have to tell me you're, you're giving a funeral to a dead person. I know. There's no life. The body doesn't breathe. I can't carry on a conversation with them. They're dead. I also know when a person is alive. I know that most of you are alive because I see you breathing and you're still awake. Some of the others I have to check. Okay? But, okay, the point is this. We know, the doctors and nurses know, and I, and I had used the example with, these, uh, uh, with this person, uh, as my wife would attest to, we've had several, with five children, you have all kinds of accidents. And one of the first things we would listen for is the cry. Because I knew if I heard a baby cry after a fall, it's alive. When a person knows Christ, you're not going to have to tell anybody. They're going to see it. They're going to know it. And they're going to ask. The problem is we have a lot of people that are professing Christ and making a lot of noise, and there's no evidence. That's one of the problems. The point of this passage is that as Paul's, uh, sir, sir, I haven't got Paul, that's not right, Peter. As Peter's talking to these believers <coughs> who are suffering, and he's been telling them how to live for Christ, he comes to this magnificent passage to tell them how important it is to be involved in personal evangelism, individually, by lifestyle evangelism. That they need to be ready to give a defense. And I told you last work, that idea of defense is the, where we get the concept of apologetics. It means to defend yourself. And, and that's what he's talking about. We need to be ready to be involved in this process of defending themselves, ourselves, with the faith that we have. We need to do it individually. And if we are, people will hear the gospel. So how can I? We're to be involved in that. And he talks about being ready to give a defense. And we want to talk about that this morning. How can I be an effective witness for Christ? Me, you. How can I defend my faith? Am I defending my faith? What makes a person a good apologist? What makes a person a good defense person of the gospel ready to share? Peter gives us some suggestions, and I think they're practical suggestions in this passage. So having dealt with the fact that I believe from last week's message that the text makes very clear that one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism, and that's frightening to you because that means there's a responsibility. Yes, there is, and it's to live for Christ. So how can we be effective? Let's look at the six points that he really gives us here. Some of them I'll spend a little more time on uh, because I really want to emphasize the practical part of it. How can I be a, a good witness? Well, in this passage, let me go back to verse 13. That's the first thing. In verse 13 it says, Who is there that will harm you if you prove, here it is, zealous for what is good, zealous for what is right, zealous for the things of, and I'm going to put it in this sense. We need to be enthusiastic as believers. Once we have trusted in Christ, 
We need to be enthusiastically involved for that which is right, including the concept of good works. You will never get saved by this. Salvation is not a process by which we be good to gain favor with God. It says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved by grace through faith. But we are the workmanship of God created unto good works. And we as believers are to be involved in that. That is what we are called to. It is important for us to see as believers that I don't just sit back and wait for Christ to return. I am to be here as a representative for Christ like he was ready. And you talk about his good works. He was involved with miracles. He was involved in reaching out. We could go through all of that and what the purpose was. But I want you to see a couple of things here. Go to the book of Titus. I'll just go to Titus and back to 1 Peter very quickly on this. Titus chapter 2. I want you to go there. We studied that book together before we get into 1 Peter. We need to hear this as believers. This does not save us, nor does it save anybody else. But as a result of our knowing the Lord, I want you to see this. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. I'll go back to 13. There we are looking for the blessed hope. That's what we should be doing. This is not our home. That's been 1 Peter. We should be looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We should be so excited uh, waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so afraid that many times we're excited and hoping he's going to wait. Don't interfere with my graduation. Don't interfere with my wedding. Don't interfere with my business. Don't interfere. Then come back. We should be excited if he were to return this afternoon. We should. Because it's the greatest thing. And he's our great God and Savior. Now watch this. Who gave himself, watch, for us, substitution. Why? To purchase, to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. That's a process that he does where he purifies us because of what he's done when we place our faith in Christ. Now watch this. A people for his own possession. We belong to him. We are not our own. And what does it say at the end? Help me. Zealous for good deeds or good, or good works. We're to be zealous for that. Now that God has worked such a miracle in our life, we're to be zealous for that. Chapter 3, same book. Look at verse 14. It says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet uh, uh, pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. That is to be a part of our life. Like what? What do you mean by these by good works are, are looking for that which is good? Just in the book of Titus, let me just do this very quickly because I tried to do it just between two books and we're not bouncing all over the place. Go to chapter 1 of Titus, look at verse 8. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-control. There's a lot of things there. Hospitality, seeking justice, that's what is good. Seeking self-control in your own life. Go to chapter 2, verse 5. Watch. Teach wives to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, 
being subject to their own husbands. That's practical. That is good living. That is good works in the sense of a result of now belonging to Christ. Verse 8, chapter 2. Sound speech, which is beyond reproach. That is usually lacking in our lives. But to have sound speech. Verse 10, just to be practical. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will, watch this, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. How? By watching the honesty in your own life. That's practical. Verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and unworthily desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's practical. Sexual purity. A life that's involved in godliness. You see? He's very practical. We're to be zealous, and this is what it means. If you were to turn to 1 Peter, which is what we've been studying, go there. 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember verse 12. I want you to see it. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So in the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, they will be ashamed of your what? Good deeds. As they observe them glorifying God. You see, they're going to look at your life. And that's what we've been studying, right? Verse 18. Servants, be submissive. Chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives. Right? Chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands. That has been everything that he's been talking about. That's what leads into verses 13. Four. He's saying be zealous to live a life that's godly. Live a life that's pure. Follow Jesus is what they are saying. And that will come out again. And that involves all kinds of things. Even in weather like we've been having. Helping your neighbor. Watching over their house. Listening to someone who's in need. Helping with carpooling. Those things are very practical, but they're real. Helping someone who's having problems with their marriage. Simply put, folks, it's the verses on the side of the room that you're sitting in. It's putting others first in front of you. That's what living for Christ is. And so he says, we ought to be zealous for that. That ought to be what drives us. Let's go back to First Peter. So he says, first, be a person, people that's zealous for good works. If you are like that, the world is going to look at you and say, there's something different. I didn't catch it all. I wish I had. But I quickly go through the stations. But what caught my ear uh, yesterday is I was quickly going through a couple of stations trying to catch news and whatever. I quickly caught something about shoveling. Now, you might have the story better than I have. But I caught enough, enough of this. There were some teenagers that were shoveling some driveways for free. Did anybody catch that? Nope. Oh, one or two people. Not too many. But they had it on the news. Why? Something's wrong here. <laughs> Teenagers shoveling snow and not asking for money? Hmm. Why? That caught the news media. You see? Something different. Something different. And that's what I'm saying. We need to be involved in living for Christ. And it starts with being zealous, not to force salvation, but because of salvation. Also, because it says it, let's go on back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. In verses 14 and 17, because I really want to get to the heart of this. In verse 14, it says that we had to suffer for the right reasons. In verse 17, it says the same thing. 
For if Christ also died for, uh, that's verse 18, sorry. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right. You'll sometimes do what's right and suffer because people don't like you or they don't like what you're doing. That's okay. Because as we saw last week, we will be blessed of God, verse 13, uh, 14. We are still blessed. So you may suffer. You may suffer if you take a stand on marriage be being between a male and a female. The world is not going to like that. You may suffer if you take stands on abortion. You may suffer if you say, no, Christ is the only way of salvation. You will suffer for that. That's okay. You're suffering for the right reasons. That's okay. So number one, how do I get to be a good witness? I should be zealous for good works. Number two, I need to suffer for the right reasons, not because I deserve it. And I spent some time on that last week, so I really want to get to the third one, and that's found in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And I want to ask each of you that profess Christ, is that true? Is Christ set apart? That's what it means to be sanctified. Are you set apart for Christ? What does that mean? Let me ask myself this and ask you this. In the course of your day today, or in the course of your day in the week, are you of such a mind that you want to do whatever it is that will please Christ? The way you talk, the way you handle somebody who's resisting you or persecuting you or causing problems, the way you handle your marriage, the way you handle your neighbor, the way you handle your job? Are you seeking to be set apart to Christ so that you're honoring him in whatever you do? Is Christ our life or is Christ Sunday morning? Or is Christ my devotional time in the morning and the rest of the day is mine? That shouldn't be the case. It should be, from the time I get up, Lord, thank you, I've got another day. I don't even know if I've got it all, but thank you for another day. And help me to be set apart to live for you. Guide my decisions today. Guide what I do. Don't just let it be a devotional and the rest of the day I live like the world. Be set apart to Christ. You young people, be a testimony where you work. Give it everything you've got in school. Give it everything you've got in sports. You who are out of school, be a testimony at work because you are set apart to Christ. So as people are watching your life, they're saying, this person is different because they're set apart different from the rest of everybody else. What does it look like? Let me give you some quickies. Colossians chapter 3. I'll read them to you. Colossians chapter 3. You can mark them down. You can follow probably if you've got a computer. But Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says this. It says, When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He's our life. In Ephesians chapter 6, just a little before that book, it says this in verse 6. Ephesians 6.6. 6. My fingers are getting slower. Ephesians 6.6 6 says this. 
not by way of eye service as men pleasers, is talking about even on the job, but what? As slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart in everything you do. You know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Being not conformed to this world, but being transformed, how? By the renewing, help me out, of your mind, the way you think. You don't think like the world. You think because you've been influenced by what Christ has done in your life. And you treat people differently so that the world notices that, even those that persecute you. In Philippians chapter 2, it simply says this, that Christ is to be our example, that we had to follow him. And it gives you the illustration of how Christ, who though he was in the form of God, thought it not equal to be uh, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, even to the death of the cross. That was for you and me. People saw him as different. Pilate saw him as different. The world saw him as different. They didn't like it. When we are set apart for Christ, when we are living for Christ, people will ask. They will want to know, how are you doing that? <coughs> Excuse me. Why are you that way? Why didn't you react that way? Why didn't you deck that person? Well, I really wanted to. But Christ has changed my heart. Why didn't you come back at that person? Well, it's not because of me. What are they doing? They're asking you the hope. Why is it, why is it that when the economy's falling apart, when ISIS is taking over, when this nation is falling apart, when difficulties are going on in the economy, you lose your job, why is it that you are calm? Well, in reality, I'm not calm inside, but I want you to tell, I want you to know that I have a hope in Christ. Can you tell me about that hope? Yes, I can. I can tell you about that hope. You see? It comes out of a life. And I'm sure anyone who belongs to Christ that's in this room has, ha has had examples of people that have come up and said, why are you that? Why didn't you? What's different? And they're not critical. They want to know. That's what he's talking about. Peter's saying that sanctify, look at it again in verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's powerful. What do you mean? Oh, you may say that I'm set apart to Christ, but is he really Lord of your life? Oh, yeah, he's Lord of my life. Uh, how do you make your decisions? Well, it's what I want. Do you really belong to Christ? Let me make it very clear. He is Lord just because you're saved. And that isn't that interesting, by the way? The day is coming in which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is what? Lord. And here we are as Christians sometimes, and you know what? He's not Lord of our life. Well, I want you to go do this. I want you to serve here. I want you to move here. I want you to do that. I want you to witness to this. Uh, that's too much. Who's Lord of the life? Ourselves. So how can I be a good witness? Be zealous for the things that are good. Be ready to suffer when it comes. 
I didn't turn to 2 Timothy, but I thought you probably remembered it, and some of you probably thought of it. Whoever lives a godly life can't ex expect to face persecution. But also, be set apart to Christ. Let him be Lord of our life. Let him be ruling. When we come to the fourth one, watch this. What does he say? Very simple thing, but here's a challenge. He says this in verse 15. Being ready to make a defense. Being ready to be an apologetic. Being ready to tell others about Christ. You know one of the problems is? We will invite people to all kinds of community affairs in which the, even the church is gathering and hoping that everybody else can evangelize to them, but we're not ready to one-on-one -on -one evangelize. But if I want to be an effective witness, I need to be ready. Now let me make myself clear here, because I think Peter is saying some things and he's not saying some other things. How do we get ready to be a witness for Christ? You ready for this? There is no formula. You don't go to Sunday school class and get 10 points and say, I'm ready. You don't get, and I mean this in a right way, you don't just get up and say, I got the Romans road, I got these points, and when they come at me, I'm going to just stuff it down their throat. No. It's not a checklist. It's not a checklist that I say, if I do this, if I do that, if I, then I'm ready. You want to know what it is? It's simple. You are ready to tell others the hope when you're walking with God. It's that simple. If you and I are walking with God, I'm ready. What do you mean? It's that simple. Because you are walking with God, you are ready to be a witness. That's not profound. It's the truth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, what? Walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's it. You say you're a Christian, live it. You say you're a Christian, let's see it then people will ask. If you're walking with God as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a student, as a worker, as a neighbor, you're ready. Because if you're walking with God, others are going to ask. I mean, it's really practical. If you look at the book of Ephesians right here alone, he couldn't have been any more practical. Go down to verse 25. How is it? Lay aside falsehood, speak the truth. That's walking with God. Be angry, but don't sin. Verse 26. That's practical. Verse 27. Don't give an opportunity for the devil. What is it? Stop setting aside these things in places where you can get to them. Verse 28. You stole, stop stealing. Labor with your hands and be generous. That's what he says in verse 28. 
Verse 29, only use that which is profitable when you speak. Stop speaking the way you were about backbiting and everything else. Let all the bitterness be gone in verse 31. Verse 5, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. That's practical. He's saying let's see it. Let the word of Christ, Colossians chapter 3, I won't turn there, you know it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If that's happening, if I am paying attention to my walk with God, and I am reading the word, and I am trying to live for Christ, guess what? I'm ready for action. Pay attention to what God is doing in your life. We're all at different levels of maturity. That's okay. There is nothing wrong with that at all. How can I illustrate it to you? Uh, probably the simplest way uh, that I can illustrate it to you is thinking honestly about a sports team. Be ready to come off the bench. What? Be ready. And all of you Patriots fans, and you're not all Patriots fans, I know that, but Right? Aren't you glad that Butler was ready? If he wasn't, you wouldn't be celebrating the Super Bowl. By the way, do you know, aren't you ready that Brady was ready? You say, what are you talking about? I don't know if many of you realize, a lot of people don't know that he was a third string quarterback. Sitting in the stands and wasn't even on the bench. Waiting for his opportunity. Then he became the second string, and when the quarterback got injured, he went in and has never looked back. You know why? He was ready. I have literally been in situations myself personally and even witnessed it in this school where some of the kids that were on the bench and the coach said, time to go in, they said, I'm not going in. Why? They're not ready. They don't want to play. Listen, there are Christians that are saying, being used of the Lord, hey, here's somebody right in front of you. I'm not ready. Why? They're not walking with all it takes is to be ready to be put in the game. God will take care of the rest. You walk with him and you will get the opportunities personally. And if you're not, you ought to be taking a look at your life. And sometimes, and I shared very openly to my own disgrace, but I shared very openly with this congregation, there was an opportunity that God brought right in front of me and I was so interested in pizza that I wasn't looking at what the God, God was doing and I couldn't get the pizza until God finally hit me in the head and said the pizza's not coming out till you witness to this guy. Because the guy was asking questions. We've all been through that. But it was because I wasn't ready. We need to be ready. We need to be walking with God. You see, it's not a formula as far as Bible verses, or I have to have all of this. But I need to do it with a humble attitude, which is the next point, very quickly. In verse 15, when I have the opportunity to witness, I need to do it with gentleness and with reverence. What does that mean? Don't have a sense of superiority, so you think you're better than I am. No, I'm not. Oh, you're a too do-gooder. Oh, we're arrogant. You're going to hell, and I'm going to heaven. That'll get you far. That's not what we saw last week when I used the response, not the responsive reading, but the opening reading. If you remember, Paul had the opportunity before King Agrippa, and what did he say? 
Honorable King, thank you for this opportunity. With respect and honor. You say, you know, I've only been saved a, a short period of time. Live for Christ. Be ready to be put in the game. Be ready, and I'm talking about the game of life, be ready to give that witness. It might happen with a fellow worker or somebody that comes to your company. It might happen with a neighbor. But we're not ready because we're not walking with God the way we should. And we don't have to have 10,000 Bible verses. Why did I read John chapter 9? You know why I read it? In my personal opinion, it's one of the strongest testimonies to me of how to be an effective witness. You want to know why? <clears throat> Let me give you a summation of what we just read. You go back and read it on your own. See if this is not the case. Here is a man who's born blind. What are we spiritually? Blind. Dead. And God opens up our understanding and we get saved, right? New life. Now we can see. Now what are we to do? Just go tell people what you know. What did he do? People came to him and said, hey, were you born blind? Yes. Who did it? Jesus. Where is he? I don't know. Is he a sinner? I have no idea. What was his summation? All I can tell you is this. I was blind. Now I see Jesus did it. And if you are a born-again believer, you've got at least that. I was dead. Now I'm alive. And it's only because of what Christ did. If you say that... You've been a witness for Christ, and God will use it. Whatever you know, you know, some, unfortunately, sometimes, let's be honest, have you ever sat in a pew, and you, you've heard people raise their hand and say, how many of you have got a testimony, would like to give a testimony for Christ, and everything quiets down? You know why part of that is? I've been there, I know. Because I've sat there sometimes and said, you know, I don't have anything that's really dramatic. Nothing spectacular has just happened in my life, or somebody gives a testimony and you say, woof, that made it worse because now I can't do something. Listen, whatever it is that God's doing in your life is dramatic. And God will use it. Whatever it is. And if we could just live our lives and be ready to say, all I know is Jesus Christ changed my life. All I can tell you is I couldn't understand the Bible, now I can. All I can tell you is I didn't have eternal life, now I know. Well, how come? All I know is Jesus Christ said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come into the Father, and I believe it. Share with you from my heart, someone, when I first got saved, asked me that. In fact, I've shared with this part of it, something else just came back to my mind, I'll give you both of them. The first time I came to Fellowship Bible Church, <clears throat> I came in, uh, to the parking lot. My wife wasn't saved yet. I had just gotten saved. <clears throat> and I just said, I'm going to that church because that's where I get the truth. And I literally walked down the hall and somebody I graduated from high school from me saw me for the first time. Last time I saw them, they were in the hippie movement. I was out in left field. And now we're both saved. And he grabbed me by the collar, true story, put me right up against, I can see it right there coming down toward the foyer, put me right up against the wall and said, are you saved? And I was so frightened, all I could say was, I think so. <laughs> and if I wasn't, I had better get there. Because, you know, but all I, I didn't know what to say other than, yeah, that's all I know. That's all I know. Well, that's all you got to say. And what happened? And, and 
We need to be ready to do that. And what I was going to get back at, I was going to a Bible study, and I was asked, are you saved? And I said, yes. They said, how do you know? All I knew, I was a very young Christian, all I knew was I happened to turn to Romans, and I said, all I know is this verse says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I did it. That's all I could say, but it was true. You see, folks, we think we need a long laundry list. It's living for Christ. It's being ready and with a humble spirit because we have nothing to do with it. And we need to do it in respect. And we need to respect those who we're talking with. And I have a number of verses, but we're getting low on it to spend the time on it. Just tell folks what you know. And you'll be a tremendous witness for Christ. You see, people find it easier bringing people to an evangelistic campaign than to talking one-on-one because we look at our own selves or we look at the failures of our life or we think we need dramatic stories. Look at this blind guy was simple. Jesus did it. Then he said, you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, who is he? I'm him. Okay, I believe. That's simple. It's a great, great testimony. We need to do that. I'll give you the last one in the text. The sixth one that he gives, so again, by review, be zealous for good works, be ready to suffer for the right reasons, be set apart for Christ, sanctify Christ in your hearts, be living for him, right? Be ready. Be ready to tell others, but do it with a humble spirit. It's nothing we've done. Praise God for the opportunities he gives us, and then we have to rely on the Lord to open up their heart Because sometimes we witness to them and we say they're not even listening. So what? Let God do it in his time. Just be faithful. And the last one is a big one. Verse 16. And keep a good conscience. Why? So that in the thing in which you are slandered and they revile your good behavior in Christ, they'll be put to shame. The idea isn't really being put to shame. But I want you to concentrate on the sixth point is make sure your conscience is clear. Because oftentimes as Christians, it's not. We know there's some things, not for salvation, but we know we're not walking with Christ the way we should be and we haven't cleaned up some things. We're holding on to them. Folks, I can't be strong enough. Right here, right now, get it cleaned up. Confess those unconfessed sins and move on with Christ. It's marvelous. He wants to just use us as a light. He's chosen the weak things. We have nothing spectacular. How in the world am I standing in a pulpit? Only by the grace of God. There are many of you that are sitting here, I mean this sincerely, that have better Bible knowledge and probably would be better teachers. Certainly better with the English language. I don't know, but God chose to use me in this way. God's choosing to use you where you are. The problem is we're not out there witnessing for Christ because we think there's all kinds of formulas or we're waiting for something else. Just sanctify the Lord in your heart, walk with him, and be ready to be put in the game. He's going to bring the opportunities. And if you're ready, you know what? It's exciting. 
And just to use the illustration, that first basket that a person scores, I remember watching one of the girls' games this year, and there was a senior on the team. It wasn't my daughter. There was a senior on the team, but uh, she hadn't scored a point. And I remember that first basket, and I remember sitting on the side, and all of us just rejoiced. It was so exciting, one little basket. She, why, she was put in the game and scored. When you are in the game walking with Christ and you see him open up an opportunity to witness, you go away excited. Wow. And you want to get more. And you want to get in the game more. Well, listen, you're in the game permanently because you're a child of God. But keep a clear conscience. Let me end with this verse. We're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Next week we'll have communion and I'll look at verse 18. You might want to look at that ahead of time. Tremendous passage in, in our study in 1 Peter. But verse 4, uh, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, I think I want verse 3. I made a mistake on my notes here, but I think I want verse 3. Yeah. Well, let me pick it up in verse 3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined of you or by any human court... <laughs> In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. And I want you to look at the passage because the, the only thing is, he said he'll bring to light the things that are hidden. The Apostle Paul, all he could say is this, I kept a clear conscience to the best of my ability. And you know what? The things that I don't know about, the Lord will bring that to light. But as much as in my power, as much as in your power, keep that clear conscience and you'll be a great witness for Christ because your life will be consistent. Listen, folks, it isn't a matter of whether God wants us to witness. He will use us and it's individual and it's tremendous when it's involved with personal evangelism and that'll come by lifestyle evangelism living set apart to Christ and being ready to be used by God simply because you're walking with him. I personally believe that if each one of us, starting with myself, lived that way, we would fill this church. We would see people getting saved at work and we would be encouraging them even to go to other churches and would be seeing God work. We don't need evangelistic campaigns. We need people who love the Lord and have been saved to live for him. The Lord will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your love for us. I thank you for the practical advice that Peter gave to people who were suffering. Where he told them to just be ready to give an answer. Because people are going to ask when we are set apart to Christ. We're zealous for good works when we're ready to suffer for the right reasons. Help us to do it with a humble spirit. Help us, Father, to just love you and show it, and not to try to exaggerate anything, but just to be ready to share with people what we know and what you've done, so that, Father, we might see others come to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, believe on him, and get saved. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.